Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am Tom Holmes and joining me as ever is Leanne Prescott. Leanne, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Um, good to be back. Obviously, we had a, a week off there last week because we were both quite busy. Um, so it's good to be back and good to be talking about Liverpool again with two really good guests this week. Yeah, two cracking guests, two cracking topics. And the first of those guests is Stefan Vasilev. Stefan, it's good to have you on again. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. And we've also got... Uh, one of our newer regulars to the show, Scott Groom. Scott, it's good to have you on, mate. Good to be back. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I've never done a pod with Stefan before, so this is, uh, this is a good one. Exciting one, two good topics as well, so uh, can't wait. Yep, so we will dig right into those topics, and we are going to start by talking about the fullbacks, and of course talking about Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, because Stefan, you've written a really good article on Robbo and Trent. So why don't you kick us off with the discussion with a bit of talk about your article and about the fullbacks, and then we can get into it. Okay, so um, I obviously wanted to have the article a bit earlier after the Watford game because that was the, I guess, the hot talking point at that, at that stage before, you know, what happened last weekend. So um, I kind of noticed that we struggle when one of uh, Robbo and Trent is missing or Trent is missing, so kind of dig into the numbers to, to see if the numbers confirm what what kind of my, my feeling was. Turns out they do. Uh, so I kind of put it in an article. I looked at it from uh, three perspectives. First, how the team is doing with both Trent and Robertson playing or if one of them is missing. Second, how they're doing offensively and how they're doing defensively is the third angle I took. So to to make a long story short, before we get into more, more specifics, we're doing well when they're both playing, not so well when one of them is missing. They're brilliant offensively and they're okay defensively. Maybe can they can improve a bit in that in that uh, part of the of their game. Okay, cool. So um, we'll dig over to you, Scott. Uh, you've obviously read the article. What are your sort of thoughts on? The fullbacks in general, we'll get into some of the specifics in a little bit, but yeah, your general thoughts on the article and then, um, of course, Trent and Robbo. Well, first of all, I thought the article was a really interesting read, actually digging down into into the stats of how it all works and um, how how the two fullbacks are actually doing in terms of on paper rather than just how the fans perceive it. Because obviously, you know, these guys are, are really well revered by Liverpool fans the world over. Um, but it was really interesting for me to have a look not so much at the attacking stats, but how these guys are doing defensively. And I think that Stefan found some really interesting bits about how many times, I think quite interesting about how they've been dribbled past at least once a game on average. 
um, throughout the course of the season, which, you know, when you look at their defensive numbers, you actually think that, okay, maybe there is a little bit of work to be done there with them. But if we know they're both not perfect, and obviously Trent's only still a teenager, but, you know, it's, it makes for some really interesting reading and perhaps further highlights the need for those reinforcements to come in those areas. And the summer, obviously, we know left-back's an issue because Moreno's just not up to it. But, Obviously, we know we've got Joe Gomez who can fill in at right back. James Milner, bless him, tries. You're not going to be there forever. So, right back to less of an issue. But still, I think Stefan makes a very good point of saying, you know, we need to look at getting some players into these areas. And I completely agree with that. But it's also magnificent to see that two relative nobodies before the start of last season are so potent going forward. The best two attacking fullbacks in the Premier League is, you know, Quite an accolade for a young Scouser and someone who was basically a free transfer thanks to the Kevin Stewart uh, deal going the other way from Hull. So I think that's really interesting. That's a very interesting aspect of the article. But I just think, you know, it kind of sheds new light onto the whole Robertson and Trent being magnificent and highly revered by Liverpool fans. Um, just kind of brings a bit of perspective into it, I think, and puts us back onto uh, on terra firma a little bit with them both. Okay, bro. Um, so we'll uh, the way I thought we'd go about this is we'll talk about sort of the fullbacks individually first, then we'll maybe get into the defence a little bit later on because I think you know defensively, I think it's kind of harder to talk about individuals. It's easier to talk about how they're re- reacting the system. Whereas obviously from an attacking sense and also sort of in general, I think it's good to talk about these fullbacks individually. So um. Stefan, I'll go to you first, and we'll talk a little bit about Andy Robertson. So, he's been a really, really reliable player for us this season um, in terms of how many games he's played, how often he's played, and generally his form. Um, So, what's your take on Robertson this season so far? You know, how important is he to the side? And how, you know, how important is it for us that he's so dependable? Well, it's actually been more than a year, right? Ever since he started playing, I don't think he's missed a game other than being rested from, from time to time in the running for the Champions League last, past season because, you know, the league didn't really matter at that point. But he's super dependable. He's played 92% of all minutes this season and he's played all games in which he should play last season after, you know, uh, going through the club uh, introduction period, that, let's call it. Um, and he's, he's not putting a foot wrong too often. If, if you, if you watch him play, if he gets beat, like, uh, Scott said, uh, if he gets dribbled past, he kind of t- takes a step back, allows, uh, some more time for himself to react to, to what the winger is doing. So he, he's very smart. He works well into the system. His runs for, he, when he runs forward, he's magnificent. He has a cross on him. I, I think he's the best left back in the league, to be honest. Uh, and I don't think it's even a, a contest. Maybe the only one, and I, I look uh, at this in the article. Maybe the only one you can compare him with is is Mendy from from City, but he's injured all the time. So at one point durability matters. And Trent's uh, so Robertson is just magnificent in in all aspects of the game. And for for the money we got him in modern football, that's I don't think we're going to see a better transfer from Edwards or, or Klopp until. You know, they're they're both gone from from the club. Yeah, I think there's a lot a lot of very positive points there. I mean, some of the numbers you put in the article really speak volumes about how how dangerous Andy Robertson is from that left hand side. He's our uh, our fourth highest creator in terms of expected assists per ninety. He's our second highest creator in terms of expected assists. He's our closest 
got the most outright assists in this team. He's very creative in terms of his key passes as well. So he brings so much to the table in an attacking sense. Um, Scott, I want to go to you here to sort of take the other side of that a little bit, which is that Robbo's kind of been struggling over the last few weeks. I think it's fair to say, you know, he's not quite hit the form that he's had. So do you think that he is, um, do you think his form has stalled slightly? And do you think that actually being one of those dependable players that is getting, you know, 92% of minutes out of the season, do you think that's starting to, to, to tell on him a little bit? Do you think, Scott? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think the last couple of games, I thought that a couple of his recent performances have actually been some of his worst. Um, since he since he came to the to the club, I think there was an argument that perhaps he's you know played too many games. He's a bit tired, could do with a rest, and that maybe you know in a in a game in the near future, perhaps maybe against Burnley at Anfield on Sunday, he could get could get rest. Whether whoever comes back in and deputises for him, whether it be he, whether Milner drops in there or whether Moreno does get a rare run out, remains to be seen. But I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that that could happen because I think he does look a bit ragged, a bit tired. Um, he's, you know, his position, he gets, he's been caught a little bit um, out of position. He's been spraying some loose passes, particularly against Everton. Um, his passing was awry and everything. But I mean, you know, we're being super critical on a bloke who's played pretty much every game this season and has been... Nothing short of a seven out of ten at the very least since he arrived. Um, so you know, I think it's it's, it's maybe just because we've got such ex- high expectations of him. But I do think you're right, and that's perhaps where um, Stefan's right in the fact that we need a little bit more defensive cover, especially at left back, because you know there are players who do get tired. They're not machines. He's going to need that recuperation period at some point. So you know, that's where that comes into um, into consideration um, and I think that, that, that this will be the perfect time to have a little bit extra squad there to be able to, to rotate those fullbacks a little bit. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because first and foremost, I, I have to agree, it's a really, really good article and, and it kind of pinpoints the, the importance of the fullbacks. I think you're right when you say that Robertson hasn't maybe been at top form in the last few games, but also it's it's kind of harsh to to really criticise that too much, just given how good he has been for Liverpool and how he's turned. You know, left-back has always been a a perennial problem for this Liverpool team. Um, You know, you look years back and it's the likes of Jose Enrique, Alberto Moreno, players who are okay going forward, but defensively they can be a bit suspect at times. Um, And so now what Liverpool have is they have someone who's that dependable figure at both ends of the field. We saw against Watford how Robertson was able to deliver two assists. Trent got three assists. And so it's not just in the defensive third they're doing their job. It's going forward. And I think it, in terms of, you know, looking at, at resting them and, and looking to kind of give them a break, it's it's a tough one because there's so much reliance on what they do for this team. Um, you, you look at games like the Everton game or the Manchester United game in particular where James Milner did play at right back and he was the one that was getting all this space and time on the flank for Liverpool. Van Dijk was picking him out, Matic was picking him out, Henderson was picking him out, but he couldn't do anything with those moments and that's where someone like Trent is able to you know, take the ball forward, he's able to put the cross in rather than kind of looking aimlessly and, and providing a ball when no one's really there. So I think it's it's difficult because at the moment Liverpool obviously don't have the depth in those areas that they need. 
but it's also hard for Klopp to be able to drop them and, and to bring in the likes of Moreno or you know Joe Gomez if he's fit this season to come back in at right back just because when you're facing these low block defences you need Robertson and you need Trent because they can deliver when it matters and so I would actually argue that Liverpool are at the stage of the season now obviously where the the scope for kind of slipping up for want of a better phrase it is very very minimal Man City obviously still have Spurs and, and United to play but Liverpool really kind of need to get down to business now. And I think Robertson and Trent is such a big part of that that I wouldn't really want them rested. I think it's just a case now of of continuing to work through and and for them to kind of step up and show their importance, which they've been doing all season. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, we're getting to the stage of the season now where we've we've got nine games left, plus at least one more Champions League game. That is not a huge amount of games potentially you know potentially goes up to 15 but it's more likely to be somewhere you know could be between 10 and 12 is most likely so even so you've got to be looking at this now you know these are players that have, we've got them to this stage and they are still playing good football you know Robertson's form's dipped a little bit but he's still producing quality football against you know against what against uh, Watford he still ended up with two assists created a big chance still our second most creative player on the day you know Trent doesn't look like a player who's tired actually which is kind of great you know he's he's been coming back from injury really effectively um and I think you know we are getting to the stage now where we're saying you know what we need to get every minute possible out of our big players and I think it's fair to say at the moment these two lads Trent and Robbo are two of our big players you know there aren't I mean to be fair most of our starting 11 is a is considered a big player now I think we've sort of said that before but these two are really really important players and we'll move on to sort of we'll segue that nicely into talking about Trent who, uh, after the after his absolutely sensational performance against Watford, um, has now surpassed Robertson on the creativity stakes. He's now got a higher expected assist per ninety. He's actually, as as you pointed out in the article, he's got the third highest in the squad. And if you take out uh, set pieces, he's basically similar to Milner, who's slightly ahead of him anyway. So you know we've got that cluster of players that are really really creative and. Trent is right in the thick of it. Um, so, Stefan, I'll let you sort of go first on Trent. Um, how, how, do, what do you make of his attacking contributions, and what do you make of the fact that he's come back into such a really strong position in this team? How important do you think he is? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, when we're talking about players that we've missed over the last few weeks, Trent has absolutely been one of them. How important do you think he is to our attack? Well, I think probably. Uh, and then mentioned this uh, in the game against Man United when Milner was getting all the space on the on the right wing. It was very similar to the game at Anfield against PSG in the Champions League group stages. Uh, if you remember that game, Trent had all the space in the world because I don't Neymar or Mbappe, whoever was on that wing, wasn't tracking back. And Trent absolutely picked them apart. He was always the 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 available man for Van Dijk to, to just play a cross-field pass. He would control the ball and then very very composed in, in actually passing it or crossing it and, and creating chances. Then when you compare that to Milner, who was actually a midfielder and Milner himself is a very good crosser. I mean, he has like, I don't know, a thousand games in the Premier League. But he j- but because Milner, for example, is a bit slower because uh, he's older now, doesn't have enough space uh, in him, so he has to think, I need to track back once I once uh, the ball goes to the other team, and maybe I, I can do that. And the fact that we really don't have another right back 
who has faith in him because uh, Klein is gone now. Um, Joe Gomez isn't really uh, very good going offensively or not as good as Trent. And uh, Henderson is not right back and Fabinho's Fabinho is just too good to to be wasted on on the on the right back position. He's too too valuable in the middle. So really, the only player that we have in that position that can can provide with with enough pace to track back and, and not uh, leave the flank exposed defensively is Trent. So I I find it kind of uh, logical that we would struggle without him because that basically takes uh, a very good option offensively out of the game because the players who are coming in can go as high up the field as Trent can. So, and just by the way Klopp sets up, sets, sets up the team, it's uh, it's vital to have Trent there offensively. And, you know, he's the only one, like I said, who can actually provide offense and defense on the, on the right flank of the defense. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think there's a lot of good points there. Um, Scott, a question I've got for you is slightly different, which is, do you think it's possible, or do you think it would be a fair say that actually a lot of people, the way they talk about Trent, because so many people see him as being a player that has got a lot of potential, a player that's set to be really impressive in the future, that maybe a lot of people are actually missing the fact that he's not just a young player who's going to be really, really talented. He's already developed into a fullback that is one of the best right backs in the league, and almost as good, if not better, than his opposite number, Robertson, on the other side. Do you think, you know, the fact that so many people see, oh, we can only get better, maybe detracts from just how well he's already doing? Um, well, it's it's tricky, really, because we're, we're kind of blessed with the fact that we've got this significantly talented young player in an area that has been a little bit difficult, not as difficult as left-back, I know, but a full-back is a difficult position to find a good player in, I think, you know, a really good fullback is 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 really difficult to come across, <clears throat> especially when you've got big clubs sniffing around them and, and all that kind of stuff. But he he it's inevitable that people will talk about his potential because he's only he's still only very young and he still doesn't have in terms of games played a lot of experience. But when you look at some of the games that he has played I mean he's played in the World Cup, he's played in the Champions League final He's playing week in, week out in the Premier League. He's, you know, playing under a manager that clearly is one of the best in world football. He's playing with some of some of the best players in Europe as well. So in terms of games played, maybe he doesn't have the experience, but in terms of what he has already accomplished, that can only stand him in good stead. And I think it is, you know, I think we we perhaps we do ignore that a little bit, the fact that he is already he, one of you, you, he's already one of the first names on the team sheet, and he's already pretty much indispensable. Without Trent, as we've all just said, Liverpool are not the same team. They don't have the same zip. They don't have the same creativity. They don't have the same energy. And I think a lot of that they don't have the same passion either, because he is a local lad. And but not just that, just because of the way that he plays his game. He plays a very aggressive style of game. He closes people down fast. He snaps into tackles. And he's got a plethora of skills. He's pacey. He's got the he's got the technical ability. He can cross a ball. He can shoot. He can pick out a sixty-yard pass. Sometimes you just have to sit there and just think this kid is absolutely sensational talent. And it would be a shame to just think, oh, he's only going to get better. He's only going to get better without reveling in what he's going to do now. But the fact that he is such a young kid and you think, wow, this kid's going to get better, should be 
a prospect that everybody's excited by and it should be something that I know he's tied down to a longer term deal now but in the future I think it's only inevitable but some of the bigger the names in world football are going to come sniffing after him if he carries on the way he's going because I don't think it's unfair to say he is that good how many how many players do you know from recent Premier League seasons in his position that are on his level and then you consider that he's still so young it's it's mind-blowing really I think you know he's he is almost he he could be generationally iconic, especially as a Liverpool player. It's a big statement, I know, but he he has got that in him, and you can see that in him. But he just needs to keep going the way he's going. But you know, we we can't also heap too much pressure on him. So he's kind of in a very difficult sort of situation, I guess. Yeah, I think I think Scott's kind of hit the nail on the head there in terms of. You know, people need to realise that this is a kid who I think he's he's twenty years old and and he's playing for Liverpool. He's one of the arguably one of the most important players in this Liverpool team at times. And the way that you know Klopp's system works, and the way that there's so much energy um, demanded from the players, there's so much willingness for him to get forward and to help out his team and to stretch the opposition. So I think that's that's completely right in saying you know people need to to take note and say that this is a kid who is already playing at a really high level. Yes, he's going to get better. Yes, he's got things he does need to improve on. We've seen that. You know, there's been times where he's been outdone by players like Marcus Rashford and and just not being able to contend with that. And and that's aspects of his game that he still needs to work on. But he is a player who is is kind of doing everything he possibly can at this point in time. And I think his his recent injury has just kind of shown people how important he is and, and what he brings to the table. Um, in in a strange kind of way, it was like an absence makes the heart grow fonder type thing. You know, it, it, it's kind of difficult sometimes if the team or, or, or the player is going through a tough patch and they're always in the side and, you know, they keep plodding long. But if you actually take them outside, if they get injured or if you, you give them a break and then they come back in and they've got that little bit of zip about them again, um, as we saw against Watford, then it's it kind of sparks a greater appreciation of what they're actually doing and, and what their role entails. And I, again, I think you know when Scott said there's there's quite a lack of of top quality fullbacks really around, especially in terms of the Premier League. Um, someone asked me the other day, you know, name the the top five best right backs in the Premier League, and it does kind of make you think when you put things down on, on paper. There are a significant, you know, if you're, if you're looking at maybe a, a world-class centre midfielder, there's quite a few of them around. World-class strikers, not as many. World-class right-backs or left-backs, not as many. And so I think that kind of, as, as Scott said, it, it kind of heaps pressure on him, but it also shows and puts into perspective what this kid is doing and, and how kind of important he's become. And I think, again, you know, with the, the five-year contract that he's got and that Robertson's got, it's it's an indication very much from Klopp that these are two players who Liverpool cannot do without and we want to keep. We want them to be part of the process for the next five years. Um, and a lot of people will say this is a kid who's got the ability to go into central midfield, which in itself kind of says says everything you need to know about his talent and his quality. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a great situation to be in where we've got, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, nine, ten players where you're looking at it going, well, that's going to be a player who's going to be really important to this club for the next five years and who's nailed down to a long-term contract. And it's just a cracking situation to be in, um, especially when two of them, you know, especially when they're younger players. And obviously Trent is the youngest, the youngest of our sort of main starters. 
So it's great to have a player like that just sort of kicking about the squad, but also not just kicking about the squad, you know, becoming a vital part of that team and really, really integrating himself perfectly. Um, so we'll move on to talk a little bit about the defence side of their games, because obviously we've talked a bit about how good they are in attacking sense sort of in general. But, you know, over the last 12 months or so, Liverpool have developed into not just the best defensive side in the Premier League, but the best defence in Europe. And that's clearly got to be at least partly down to the fact that we've got two excellent fullbacks. Um, and obviously their roles, as you've sort of alluded to, Stefan, are slightly different in this system because obviously we play, so we give the fullbacks more freedom and allow the DMs to drop in a bit more. But how important do you think Robertson and Alexander-Arnold have been to the build-up of what's been a really, really consistent performance in defence in the last sort of, uh, well, 12 months or so? Well, I think... Uh... And I, I don't really touch on this in the article, but they're very important for the press. So because they're so mobile and so aware of, defensively aware of who's where and where they need to go, they're aware of the space they need to cover, they really help with the press. I mean, we've had a couple of highlights in the last year or so of Robo just pressing the goalkeeper of the other team. Uh, one was against City, I think, and even against Everton, I think at one point he was... Uh, Pressing on the right wing of our attack somehow. I think it was after a set piece or something, but they have basically, uh, unlimited energy, the two of them. That helps a lot with the press. Uh, I think that gives, uh, a bit more assurance to, to the defensive midfielders who need to slot in that the fullback will come in right into his position and then the defensive midfielder can go back and cover the center. So, they work very well within the system. Um, obviously, when you're playing that high, and I think the numbers that they get dribbled past once every game, basically, is a bit down to the fact that they play really high, which leaves them exposed at times. But again, and then if by some chance somebody manages to get past them, then they just stumble into Van Dyke, which is a lost cause at this point. I think he hasn't been dribbled past this season yet, so... Um, there's that, but they are perfect for the system. Now, in American sports, sometimes, because I watch a lot of basketball, they say, uh, the system makes the players look better than they actually are. But I don't think this is the case here. They fit, they fit the system perfectly, but also I think even if they go play in some other team, some other league, they will still be this brilliant. Okay, so um, I think we will kind of move on from there. Um, I feel like we've pretty much touched on everything we, we have touched on. Just one thing I do want to add. Um, I've been keeping track of the numbers, and, and yes, you're right, Van Dijk hasn't been dribbled past yet once this season in, in the Premier League, at least, which is frankly staggering, but you know, it speaks volumes as to how good a defender he is. Um, so we'll move on to talk about the second article that we've got lined up, which is your article, Scott, and it's about Diwok Origi um, and sort of a- addressing that question of where he stands now after yet another sort of big sort of week or so from him where he's come into the squad and made a big difference, um, scored a wonderful goal against Watford. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Divi now uh, and I'll let you take you away, Scott, so you can sort of give us the introduction to the topic and uh, discuss what you uh, basically said in your article and we can go from there. Okay, cool. Um, so as much as I love him as a, a person and as a guy that, always comes in and gives his all in a Liverpool shirt. Um, Arigi is one of those really frustrating squad players that we have at the moment. Um, you know, when we bought him, he was touted to be, you know, a bit of a an unpolished diamond in the rough. You know, a player that could come in and 
make a big impact. And it's not quite gone that way for him, but it hasn't been disastrous either. I mean, when he has played well, such as in Klopp's first season in charge, when we got to the Europa League final, you look at some of the goals he scored in the run into the Europa League final, some of the performances that he put in. He scored in both legs against Dortmund. He had that spell... Um, I can't remember if it was that season or the season after where he scored four games in a row and provided two assists in that run as well. And you look at him in those games and you think, this guy's got pace, he's got power, he's pretty good with his feet, he can hold the ball up and he can score goals as well. And you're thinking, maybe Divock Origi could be this, you know, this player that we bring in when we need to rest from, you know, or when we need to mix things up a little bit. But then you also see him as this incredibly frustrating character when sometimes you bring him in and he either does nothing and nothing nothing comes of it or he just, you know, he always tries hard, but the ball will bounce off him when he tries to hold it up up front. He'll miss chances, he'll misplace passes and he'll just be a frustrating player to have on the pitch and someone that's not providing that cut and thrust that is desired of him. So I guess with his performance, particularly against Watford, and I don't think he had a bad game in the slightest against Everton. I think, you know, while the score was nil-nil at that point in time when we needed a bit more impetus up front, I think he was always going to be the man that got hooked um, for Fabinho or uh, for Firmino, sorry, or, or Shakiri or Sturridge or whoever chose to go on. Um, I think, you know, this kind of is another point in his career when you're thinking okay if you can produce performances like this on the regular I think you could maybe you could maybe stick around for another couple of seasons and then it's up to you if you want to play more regular football as to if you want to go elsewhere but there's always that risk with him that you don't know which Divokarigi you're going to get are you going to get the one who scores the lovely goal like he did against Watford or are you going to get the one where his first touch ends up nearly knocking Klopp out on the sidelines because it's just been that bad I mean that's kind of the point where he's at at the moment. And it's whether Liverpool and Klopp decide to sort of stick and miss, uh, hit and miss, sorry, or hit and twist is what I'm looking for, I think. Um, whether they take the gamble and keep him or whether they look to move him on and replace him. And there's obviously rumours doing the rounds again that Liverpool are interested in Timo Werner and more attacking options. So very difficult time, I think, for Divock Origi, but it's one where, you know, he's in a bit of form. He needs to carry that on if he's to sort of give himself a chance of staying beyond this season, really. Okay, so um, Stefan, I'll let you sort of give your thoughts on Divock Rigi first, and then we can get into it a bit more. First of all, we should always mention the goal against Everton when we talk about him, because it will always make us feel good. So I'm just going to say that. And then about him, so I think when he came here, uh, I think it was after a World Cup, where he started for Belgium in front of Lukaku. And he was like, I don't know, 19 or 20. So I was really excited to have him. And just when he was kind of picking up uh, more minutes, scoring goals, he got injured. I think it was in a a game against Everton. And that really, really set him back. I honestly think he doesn't have a place in the team next season if we want to, to challenge for more trophies. Because rumors have it that we're going to bring some attacking options up. We also have uh, Harry Wilson alone, who's been scoring screamers all season. Um, we still have Shakiri, and we have Ryan Brewster, who has been injured, but I think Kwok really rates him. So 
Origi being a bit older now, I, think, I don't know, he's maybe 24, 25, he probably wants to move on himself to, to play uh, regular minutes. He's probably on higher wages than uh, Harry Wilson and, and Ryan, Ryan Brewster. So it just doesn't make sense for us to keep him. And as much as I, and I would always want him to succeed, he, he's uh, always played hard when, when he puts the Richard on. He had, let's say, some not very good uh, long spells, but I just don't see a place for him uh, at Anfield next season. Okay, I think there's sort of a lot to unpack about this, and I think there's a lot of sort of questions to ask. Um, so I think the first thing I'm going to sort of say is we've got a player here who, in his Liverpool career, has played just 4,000 minutes, and in those 4,000 minutes, he's contributed 24 goals and 8 assists, meaning that he's contributed um, a goal or assist every 125 minutes, which means he can he contributes goals or assists more often to this team than both Bobby Firmino and Sadio Mane. So I think it's interesting that we've got a player who has the sort of the raw numbers and the sort of the the ability to contribute that is up there with anyone else in our squad. And I think it's really, really interesting that at the moment he's really struggling. I think, you know, there's obviously a lot more to it than that. Um, and I think, you know, whatever you think about Diva Karigi's future, there's no denying for me that he at least that he's been a really, really useful player. And I think the other thing to sort of bear in mind, the thing that I think maybe a lot of people kind of forget is that those sort of first two seasons, the first two seasons where he showed a lot of what he's capable of, but also showed a lot of flashes of inconsistency, is that he was, you know, 2021. 20, so he's younger. he was younger then than someone like Harry Wilson is now. And I think it's really interesting that we're sort of looking at this as it, young players are going to struggle for consistency, especially when if you look at Origi's sort of numbers, he's only, a lot of people say, you know, he's played 87 games for the club. He's only actually finished. 19 sets of 90 minutes he's either subbed or he is left on the bench and has to come off the bench you know less than half of his appearances for Liverpool have actually been from the start so I think it's really I think it's I personally find it sort of frustrating you've got this player who of course he's not going to build consistency of course he's not going to play well consistently because a he's a young player and a lot of young players only the very very elite young players play well consistently that's you know it takes a lot of time for these sorts of blemishes to be sort of pushed out their game but the other factor is you've got a player who every time he does play well, he'll have sort of four great games, one bad game, and then after the bad game, he's left back on the bench again because a more senior player's fit. Um, so I think, you know, it's obviously difficult for a player like that to get his career going. So the question I'm going to ask to you, Leanne, is not necessarily about Liverpool itself. It's about Origi. How do you get the best out of Divock Origi if you're Liverpool? Because, or not even Liverpool, if you're Divock Origi, how do you get the best out of Divock Origi? Because... There's no two ways about it. He's not going to be a consistent starter for us. He's not going to be able to get into the team ahead of what we've got. So does he have to say, you know, I can build myself here. I can still, you know, I can still develop under clock because he is only 23. Or does he have to say, you know, I want to be at a club where I'm going to be starting consistently because I know that I'm good enough to contribute to that club? It's a hard one because it's all obviously down to, you know, player mentality and player attitude. I think the the thing with Origi, and he, he does deserve some credit for it because he has kind of come in, especially in the last couple of weeks, and he's made a difference. I thought he was really good against Watford. Obviously, he scores the, the goal against Everton and he pounces. He's alive to the situation and, and that's kind of, from there, it's given him a bit of a lift. It's obviously fans now, a lot of people are saying, don't care what Origi does the rest of his time at Liverpool. You know, if he leaves in the summer, so be it. But he scored that goal and he'll always have that goal for us. 
And I think it's it's whether a region now wants to kind of kick on and say, you know, what, I believe in myself, I believe in my abilities. This is a great club. Yes, there's competition for places, but that's going to get the best out of me. That's going to spur me on to to do better, to improve. Because we have seen in the last couple of games, he has kind of worked his way into a position where he can, okay, it was because, you know, Bobby was injured and circumstances like that, but he's worked his way into Klopp's thinking because Klopp could have started Shakiri, doesn't, goes with Origi, Origi performs well, Origi then starts Everton, okay, not the best game for him. But I think there's there's some kind of indication there as a player, you'd be looking at it and saying, there are potential opportunities for me here. Okay, I'm not going to be the star man, but there's, you know, there's something to work on. He's not completely out in the cold, let's say like, like a Daniel Sturridge is. Uh, it's kind of a difficult one because obviously we've talked in the past about how he was kind of in a similar situation to Dominic Sankey, who who's now at Bournemouth. And he's in a position where he's going to probably start the majority of games for Bournemouth. Okay, a bit of competition with the likes of Callum Wilson and Josh King, but he knows he's in and around that first team pretty much all the time. Origi, he's fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, where Pop wants to play him. Uh, I, I think Divock Origi, at the end of the day, the decision probably won't be his. I think it, it will be very dependent on, you know, if Klopp wants to go and buy players like Julian Brandt or um, get another winger in, get another striker in like uh, Werner, then the choice is going to kind of be made for Origi. It's going to si- symbolise to him, OK, you know what, I'm, I'm going further down the pecking order here. But I also think, you know, it's a, I'm sure we'll come on to this in a minute. I also think he, he, as I said, he deserves credit for the way he's played because a lot of people, myself included, kind of forgot about him. Um, it was very much, you know, especially after the West Ham game when he has that chance and it's it's offside, okay, it shouldn't be given anyway, but he does have a really, really good chance to get Liverpool a result that they didn't deserve. And at that moment, you're kind of thinking, hold on, if that's Daniel Sturridge in that situation, he probably hits the back of the net. So, yes, Origi can do certain things, but he's not that dead finisher that Sturridge is. Um, but he's worked his way into the team. He's shown that he can track back. He's shown that he's willing to put his body on the line. He's willing to kind of work for this press. And okay, sometimes, you know, there's going to be inconsistencies. That's always going to happen. But he's hungry. And I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And, you know, to, to kind of come back to your question, it's, it's now whether he takes that hunger somewhere else or whether he continues to channel it and say, I'm going to try and try and continue to be in Klopp's plans here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good stuff. Um, so Scott, I'll bounce back to you here with a similar sort of question. You know, you mentioned in your article, you know, we're looking at Timo Werner, we're looking at those sorts of players. Well, actually, have we got a player on our squad that can save us a lot of money on that front? Because you know, people talk about Harry Wilson, Marco Grujic, that I've oh, got all these players that are sort of kicking about that we could use in our squad. Well, actually, out out of those three, there's only one player that has demonstrated that he's good enough to play for Liverpool Football Club, and that is Divock Origi. Would you not say? Well, yeah, it's, I'm just going to touch on a point that Leanne made just a second ago, actually, because I think it's really interesting. When you mentioned about the the chance he had against West Ham, and you're thinking, well, oh, if that's Sturridge, that ends up in the back of the net. There's a big there's a big difference between the two of Sturridge and Origi at the minute, and I just think Origi just wants it more at the moment. He's mm. you know he's yeah. he's a better fit for the system because he's he's willing to put his body on the line, as you so rightly said. He's willing to track back. He's willing to get stuck in, whereas you know, at the start of the season when Sturridge kept coming on and he scored that incredible goal against Chelsea and 
he worked his way into the starting lineup and um, played in the Champions League. And uh, he scored against PSG, didn't he? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he scored against them at Anfield. Um, but you know, he, at that point in the season, Sturridge was looking like, oh, okay, maybe we have, we are finally going to see the old Daniel Sturridge again. But that's kind of quickly fizzled out, and I don't know for what reason that is. But the fact that Klopp is now choosing, for example when he um, needed to pick somebody else for the Watford game, the fact that he's going, Divock, you're in. And he, you know, he's not looking to Sturridge. When we needed goals at the weekend against Everton, he bought Origi off for Firmino, obviously because Firmino's first choice. But the option's been there for him to choose Sturridge or Origi a number of times now, and he's constantly picking Origi. And for me, that sends a big message as to... It, well, I mean, we don't know everything that's going on in training, but it sends a big message as to the fact that I think Sturridge is a, Sturridge is a goner, absolutely. Um, but I, I still think Klopp's making his mind up about Origi. I think the rest of Liverpool's fan base is still making their mind up about Origi. But, you know, in terms of bringing that back to what you've just asked, Tom, it's, it's very difficult, like I say, because this is a guy whose numbers on paper are absolutely incredible. Um that when it actually comes down to the cut and thrust of it, he, he can be a bit hit and miss. But is that to do because of his age? Is that to do because, like you said, he gets these running games. As soon as he has one bad game, he's hoiked, he's back out of the team again. He's not being given the chance to perform consistently, which is going to dent his confidence with young players. And we've spoken all about Harry Wilson a number of times, um, especially me, Tom and Leanne. We did a whole... We, we almost did a whole podcast on the fact that it's really difficult for young players to prove that they're good enough to be in a Liverpool manager's thoughts and then have these loan spells come back and then take it up another level and be successful at Liverpool. There's, that's two very different things. But So it, it is very difficult for a young player, but how long do you give them to do that before you think, well, you know, well we've kind of tried and it's not worked out, so we're gonna we're going to look at different avenues now and it's almost getting into that point with Origi but is that fair because he's not really been given that much of a fair crack at the work you were just saying about how many 90 minute matches he's actually completed Tom's number is very small we've already spoken about his his goals and um, his assist ratios and all that sort of stuff really impressive stuff so it's almost a bit of a unique situation with Origi because you know he can do it but then he doesn't quite get given the chance but this this kind of the poison chalice of playing for a team like Liverpool that, uh, especially now, three years ago, they were kind of, you know, fighting to qualify for the Champions League. Now they're fighting for the Premier League title. And, you know, the way things are going, that's hopefully going to be a theme that recurs over the next couple of years, hopefully beyond that for as long as Klopp's at the club because he's built something really special. So how long can Liverpool afford to keep Origi on the books when he's potentially taking up money that could be spent on the wages of someone who is a proven European goal scorer who can come in and do the job and take Liverpool to the next level and go from there. So it's very, very tricky. Um, like you said, it's Origi's always, always going to put in a real shift, put his body on the line and been a really good servant to Liverpool, actually. He's been very, conducted himself very, very well. He's easily had the chance to kind of have a whinge and a moan when he got sent out on all these loan spells, but he hasn't. He's just come in, he's pulled his socks up, he's got on with it. And that may be one of the things that's endeared himself to Klopp, but 
it's it's tricky. I mean, if I'm being brutally honest, I can't. I can see him if he stays at Liverpool. I think he'll be gone after next season if he does stay. Um, but I guess that depends on what happens next season. Um, I think Sturridge will definitely go. So it's then a case of okay, how much, I don't think Wilson will be coming back at any in any capacity anymore. So if you get rid of Origi, then you've suddenly got rid of two or three options and then you have to sign two or three more players and are those two or three going to be any better than what we've already got rather than just getting rid of Sturridge and him his massive wages. We know that we're going to have further investment because of Champions League TV money and progressing into the competition to the final last year and doing so well in the Premier League. Players are going to want to come. The money's going to be there to be spent. So... You know, but it's still got to be spent wisely. So I think I think we could still see a Rigi at Liverpool next season. But then after that, I think it's you're going to need a bit of a crystal ball to predict whether or not he's going to be around for much longer than that. Yeah, I think it's a really tough situation. I mean, you know, I, I'm not being entirely serious when I suggest that we could potentially sign him ahead, uh, keep him ahead of signing Timo Werner. I don't think that's you know necessarily a realistic prospect. But I do think it's interesting that we've got a really young player who's got a lot of talent and scores a lot of goals and we don't quite know what to do with him. Um, so Stefan, I'll, let, I'll ask you a question here. I know you've sort of said that you don't think he's got a spot in the squad because of the, the various people that could be coming in, the various people already there. But do you think he's got the raw attributes to succeed at the top level? If, if it's not with us, maybe with someone else of sort of a similar quality or maybe only, or maybe just like a slightly level, lower level down. Oh yeah. I think, I think he can be a very, very good player. And just uh, to kind of emphasize the one of the points we're making I think if you look young players and Scott just talked about how hard it is for them to kind of uh, prove themselves and then go back to the fullbacks look at trend right so just like a side note uh, but regarding your question so I think I think and now he's looking very fit um he tracks back a lot. The last two games, he's been running a lot. I don't know what his numbers are, but at least it looks like he's running a lot. He's tracking back. He's making good runs. So I think he has what it takes. But for him to develop it, it, it really needs to be somewhere else. I, I, because, and maybe we don't know what's going to happen until the end of the season. Maybe he has one of those runs now. We have nine games left. He plays in five of them and scores five goals because that's what he does, right? He just, scores four games in a row and then doesn't score for the next 10. But if he does that now, maybe he earns a spot. But if not, I, I don't think he stays. But he has the ability to to be successful somewhere else. Yeah, okay. That's that's very fair. And, um... and, and to be honest, I think uh, Edwards will make a profit on him if we sell him this summer. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You've got to factor in the fact that if we do sell him, we're not going to sell him for less than 25 million because he's demonstrated that he's a player that's worth that much. Um, Leanne, I'll, um, I'll go to you one more time before we sort of round up. What are your thoughts on whether, on what Arigi's career is looking like now in terms of his sort of raw attributes? I know you've talked a little bit about what, what you think his desire is like, but what do you think in terms of his raw attributes? Where do you see him sort of finishing up? I think it's, it's probably going to end up in a relatively similar situation to someone like Dominic Slanky, as I said earlier, where he, you know, it, it, credit to him if he decides to stay at Liverpool and fight for a place. And in some ways, I kind of hope he does just because that represents 
the hunger of the player who who wants to play for Liverpool. Uh, but it's also important to remember, obviously, Liverpool will be looking for for better players, um, to put it bluntly. But in terms of Origi himself, I think he has what it takes to be in the Premier League. He has the the physicality needed. He's obviously over his Liverpool career, he's produced some great finishes like that one against Bournemouth. Um, you know, the 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 one from a kind of crazy angle, and he just pops it right in the top corner. So he does have the attributes to go far and to do well, but he's such a confidence player. We, you know, we've talked about this in the past, as Scott said, with, with young players and the likes of Ben Woodburn and Harry Wilson. And it's, it's always needing that kind of manager or that person to put the arm around you and to say, you know, head up next one, next one's yours. And if he can kind of get past that barrier, if he can keep working and, and build his confidence and, and kind of belief in himself, then I think he could be a success in the Premier League. Um, I, I would agree. I, I don't think it's going to be at Liverpool, um, unfortunately for him. But, you know, one of the... You look at ahead of next season, uh, let's say, in the likes of Leeds, if they get promoted, they're going to be looking maybe for someone with a bit of Premier League experience who, who has shown they can do it at this level. And I think that's where someone like Divock Origi potentially probably gets a move. Um, so it's it's interesting to see kind of how it pans out for him and and what he can do in terms of the, uh, this season from now until the end of the season. How big a role is he going to play? Is it going to be a case if he comes in in the last few minutes of games and can he make an impact or can he shore things up? Uh, we've got to see. But there is some kind of belief from Klopp in this player. Um, that's something that you know we we shouldn't forget. There is something in him that Klopp likes, and I think it is that hunger. And and I hope that doesn't you know, fade away. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my thoughts. I'm really torn on Deepak Origi because I'm such a big fan of him as a player. I think he's a really, really good player. And I think he could really big something to this squad. But equally, I think, you know, if, it, if it's a straight choice between keeping Deepak Origi and signing someone like Timo Werner, I think you, you really are looking at a completely different kettle of fish. And it's so difficult to sort of weigh that up, weigh up what Origi's got potentially and what he's contributed in the past versus the proven quality of someone at the very top level of their game. So it's a really, really tough one. And as you see, as you guys say, it's kind of tough for Origi because if he sticks about for another year, he could end up, end up in a situation where he hasn't got himself settled when he hits the prime of his career. So he might potentially want to move to somewhere where he can get a better, a better career move. And it's a really tough situation for him to balance. Um, But I feel like we've kind of discussed everything we want to discuss here. There's been a lot of really good stuff. Really a lot of interesting points made. So um, I'm going to go to plugs now. Um, Stefan, is there anything that you want to plug out at the moment? Well, if anybody who listens hasn't read my article, uh, I think it's a good one. So have a look. Uh, and hopefully we beat Burnley. Yeah, beating Burnley would be, <laughs> be brilliant at this stage in the game. We just, it's absolutely necessary. Um, Scott, what? Uh, anything you've got out at the moment, plug in? I think you've got an article out at the moment right uh, yeah i have i've um i wrote one just the other day on how liverpool of uh, liverpool's merseyside derby performance was a perfect example of how much we're actually missing oxley chamberlain at the moment with that drive and uh, determination skill power and goals and assists that he provided from his midfield role last season i think we're really missing that not just in the everton game but in other aspects at the moment so that's out on ai at the moment i'm hopefully going to try and submit a piece Tomorrow, not quite decided about what just yet, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I sent a tweet out the other 
the morning just on a random. I saw I saw an article on the mirror and it was saying that Coutinho's been available for eighty four million. So I was like, oh, I don't know. Let's ask the question. Would you take Coutinho back for eighty four million pounds? And it went absolutely crazy. I had like a thousand replies and so I you know, I kind of don't know whether it's worth doing something on that because people still obviously feel quite strongly on it and I think there's um I wouldn't take him back personally at this precise moment in time, but I think there's quite a good uh, room for argument there. Really interesting debate. Um, what I would say is if you're going to write articles to Pandatilian, maybe sort of don't steal Whoa. all of her topics because <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't like it because whenever whenever someone else writes about Ox, it means she can't for at least like two weeks. I did, did nearly say something about, you know, I, this honorary mention to Leanne Prescott in this article because we all love Oxlade-Chamberlain, but not quite as much as you, but, you know, I, I, I stick there. To to be fair, I saw um, James Pierce tweeted earlier today that you could go and see Oxley Chamberlain tomorrow, make his um, you know reintroduction with the under twenty threes in Derby, and I thought, oh maybe maybe I'll go. But it's no, gonna be going. just it's gonna be so time. funny when he plays like fifteen minutes. Like he's literally gonna get like a ten fifteen minute run out or get subbed at half time, and everyone's gonna be like, what? <laughs> right, so, you know, this, I, what, I this wasn't Derby. what we asked for. <laughs> I live in Derby as well, so the temptation is even greater. So you know, yeah. more farm. It's about a fifteen minute drive away from my house. So you know, it's, it's pretty tempted. If I wasn't sort of going away for the weekend, I'd be all over it. But that kind of wins, I guess. Le- Leanne, is there anything you need to plug other than your undying love for Oxlade Chamberlain? <laughs> um, I've, yeah, I've had quite a busy week, so got a few things coming out um, on AI um, in the next few days, hopefully. So we're looking ahead. Um, obviously, the Bournemouth game on Sunday, so there'll be some kind of analysis piece on that. Um, hopefully, we we win and you know we can kind of continue on our path. Um, hopefully towards the title. But otherwise, I, I wanted to plug, um, it's not actually AI related, but I wanted to plug it because obviously um, England have been playing a lot lately in the She Believes Cup and it's it's actually been really, really good to watch. I don't know if, if any of you have caught it. Um, but it, it was really, really good and, and England obviously won. Um, so I was spoke uh, spoke from Lauren from Remen TV just about, you know, women's football in general. And I just thought it was really interesting because there seems to be kind of a growing awareness and appreciation of it um so that's definitely something to look out for and maybe something i'll i'll kind of look to to progress into a little bit more as the you know next season uh as we go into that um but yeah in terms of ai obviously uh continue to listen to this podcast i will have some articles they will not be oxley chamberlain related i'm going to make sure mm-hmm. of that this time um so yeah, just basically keep an eye out for that. Wicked. Um, definitely go and do check out that that podcast. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I I did have a look at some of the discussion around it. It looks like a really good debate, and obviously I, I saw a few of your tweets about it. So it looks like a really really good good topic. Um, uh, as for me, I've got one out at the moment on how it doesn't really how regardless of how this season ends, I think Liverpool are really well set to go and challenge for the title and the Champions League again next year. Um, and beyond that, and to sort of really build a team that's consistently challenging at the top level. And I've also got an article coming out in the next couple of days, basically about Klopp's comments about PlayStation and how I think he's talking complete nonsense more than usual, and um, also about the sort of the structure of the midfield in general and how if I see the Fabinho, Cater, uh, K- sorry, Fabinho, Vinaldum, Henderson midfield again, I'm going to have to throw a brick through something because I can't deal with those three playing midfield again ever. I don't ever want to see it again unless we're like 3 0 up or unless we need like a point to win the title. Just don't want to see it. Uh, so that's me. Um, as ever, thank you 
so much for coming on, guys. Um, thanks as ever to Leanne, and thank you so much to Guy, who's obviously recording and editing. Um, and thank you so much to Gagza AI for obviously hosting. Um, so we will be back hopefully next week. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and see you soon. Podcast Network.